0: Hello and welcome to the learning to slay the beast podcast, a resilience podcast where we talk about all the challenging things that we're working to overcome like anxiety, obesity, health and relationship issues. My name is Sarah. I've talked a number of times on the podcast about my lifelong struggle with weight. I have been obese most of my life and then finally hit a quote unquote healthy weight in my 30s and have really struggled to keep that weight sense. I've also been learning in the meantime about intuitive eating and disordered eating and health at every size recently and starting to understand that, you know, even the concept of a healthy weight and this idea of what we should be isn't necessarily necessarily healthy for us. I'm excited to speak this week with Amy Johnson. Amy is a certified integrated nutrition health coach, a yoga instructor, an artist, a master of fine arts, and has a certificate in emotional eating and gut health. Amy is a coach and artist based in New Mexico. After years of struggling with disordered eating and a dysfunctional relationship with her body that held her back in so many ways, she's passionate about helping creative women finally find the freedom to truly live their lives so they can enjoy healthy, loving relationships thrive in their creative work, and have the energy and confidence to go for their dreams. I hope you enjoy this conversation with Amy and learn as much as I did. So welcome, Amy, to the podcast. I'm so happy to connect with you today. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here. Me too. So why don't we start with you providing your background? I've given a little of an intro, but how did you get into coaching and decide on your focus for coaching? Yeah, so, you know, I really
1: remember struggling with my body and with food from a pretty young age. Um, I started dieting in middle school, which is kind of crazy because I played, like, two sports at a time and grew up on a farm, so I was always running around doing stuff. Um, But, yeah, I started dieting in middle school, and I just remember being, like, very viscerally uncomfortable and kind of miserable (laughs) in my body um, and being very aware of what it looked like and what it was supposed to look like and what other people thought of it. Um, And then you know, and I also have like really wonderful memories of being in my body when I was a a young person and a kid. But there was definitely that struggle throughout. And in my early 20s, I developed kind of more severe disordered eating for a few years. And then in my late 20s, I started a new relationship that I was that like actually had the potential to be really healthy and really great. And so, that was the point at which I decided I was ready to actually address this i like I didn't want to be like sneaking around and lying to my new person, and i I wanted to actually have a chance at like being healthy and happy and having you know being able to enjoy food and not have dysfunction around that so that was kind of when I started my healing journey, which I pretty much did totally alone <laughs> because at the time you know, I didn't talk to my friends and family about it. And I didn't, I was kind of ashamed and I hid it from people. So I was like sneakily ordering books on the internet. And, and I ended up getting really into a yoga practice. And I had my writing practice. And I'm also an artist. So I had an art practice that were really healing and just through a lot of different um, kind of modalities i was able to heal my relationship with food and and start to heal my relationship with my body although i feel like that's a much longer journey and kind of an ongoing lifelong thing um, so while all of that was going on i was also as an artist and a creative person and a multi-passionate person i was like really trying to find my way and figure out what i wanted to do with my life and what i wanted to do for work and at a point I was having some health issues and I was really searching for what to do and I stumbled across um, the Institute for Integrative Nutrition just googling stuff related to my health stuff so I ended up actually deciding to study through the Integrative Institute for Integrative Nutrition or IIN uh, to become a health coach and as I was working through that and kind of working with some clients as I was a student I decided to focus on working with people who struggle with disordered eating and struggle with their relationship with their body, just because that had been such a big challenge for me and such a big part of my experience. Um, And I, it was such a hard, it was such a big struggle for so long for me. And when I finally was free of it, it made such a difference in my life that I just feel really passionate about helping other people do it much more quickly and sooner, hopefully, than I
0: had to do it if that makes sense Mm -hmm. no no absolutely and and similarly I've had quite the journey and and still I'm still on it I guess like as you say in terms of body but also food Mm -hmm. so why do you think that so many of us (laughs) do struggle with our relationship with our body and then our behaviors with food like what are some of the root causes that you see yeah I
1: I think that's such a good question because I think so many of us do I think so many more than we realize Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, one thing I kind of want to say to preface that to preface the answer to that question is I think that we all start out, we all start out as intuitive eaters, like we're all born with this ability to know when we're hungry and when we're full. Um, And then of course, over time, <laughs> it gets kind of messed up. So I think that there's – I just, like, wanted to say that at the beginning because I think it, mm-hmm. it means that we all have that ability within us. It's just it gets lost. And so it's, mm-hmm. you know, the, the point of saying that is that we all have the potential to get back to that. Um, but, yeah, I think I think there's a bunch of things going on. I think one, maybe the most obvious thing is the kind of bigger social, cultural – messages that we get and the fact that there's so much, you know, diet culture that we live Mm -hmm. in. And so we're just like, from the get go, just getting all these messages about, you know, a very, number one, a very clear message about what our body should look like. You know, there's a very clear kind of ideal. I think that's finally starting to shift, but for my whole life, there's, there's been like a very clear ideal image of what a body should look like. Mm -hmm. And so Mm -hmm. You know, we get these messages like if you don't look like that and there's something wrong with you or you're doing something wrong or you need to work harder and blah 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 so there's a the bigger social cultural messaging that we get um and then there's i think everybody has their own unique personal experience and so there's messages that people get from their family and their community and even if even if you have even if somebody has like amazing parents who are doing their best and love them and trying their best. Probably most of us still got messages about, um, you know, it's like if you're a child and you're like, I'm hungry and you, and then the parents like, well, you shouldn't be hungry. You just ate or you can't be hungry yet. We're going to have dinner in an hour or I'm full, but you have to clean your plate, you know, just like little stuff like that. Mm -hmm. Plus bigger things, plus more kind of damaging comments about bodies and food. I think that gives us the message that our bodies are not to be trusted, and that we should, you know, there's like we should kind of look to an authority. So we just sort of, I think, over time, even if nothing major happens, little things kind of build up to teaching us that we shouldn't trust our bodies, and we and we and we unlearn how to trust our bodies, and so then we start looking for, um, we start looking to external sources and. And then another thing too, I think is, you know, experiences that, that people have and trauma that they have and they go, you know, everybody I believe has trauma and goes through painful experiences. And if you don't have the emotional, if you don't have the tools to sort of process emotional stuff, then we'll tend to look kind of move in the direction of coping mechanisms um, and figuring out ways to cope. And I think that food behaviors around food and behaviors around body and controlling the body and and you know self-worth um, issues I think that those 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 can often become coping mechanisms because food is such an integral part of our lives like we have to mm-hmm. deal with it every day and another thing about food is that it's it's so wrapped up in nourishment and caring for our bodies and so I think if you're struggling with, emotional pain or struggling with self-worth, you know, that food can be an area that can get really complicated because it has to do with nourishing and caring for the body.
0: Yeah, that's, that's a really good point. I can totally see that. And I think when we're, you know, say maybe experiencing trauma as kids, you know, the coping mechanism that is available is really food. I mean, Mm -hmm. you know, you're, as an adult, people tend to maybe turn to like alcohol or caffeine or things like that. But as a kid, food is your substance kind of. So I can mm-hmm. absolutely see that for sure. And I totally agree on the diet culture pieces. I remember seeing so many magazines and stuff as a teen, movies, you know, thinking like, oh, this is how I should be and I'm mm-hmm. not. Mm-hmm. Um, and And family too, like There, there can be that negative side, but then there can also be the positive too, that when you're hearing, um, you know, somebody that's lost weight or looks good, kind of Uh being positively reinforced, Uh I think that definitely creeps in. And I remember growing up, like all of my aunts, my mother, they were constantly talking about the latest and greatest, you know, weight loss thing mm-hmm. or book yep. or whatever and it would be like <laughs> I'm reading this book, you know, you should read this too kind of to each other and and I think that definitely definitely seeps in. Um Totally. One thing, and I guess I'm just thinking, I know I've talked about diet culture a little bit on the podcast, but is that maybe something you could dig into? Like what, what does that kind of term mean to people? And I hear it so much in media, but maybe some of the listeners don't quite know what, what is meant there.
1: Yeah, I think that, yeah, I think, I mean, from the way that I understand it, it's just sort of the idea that, that dieting and Uh, Talking about diet is such a big presence in mainstream culture, and you know, at least in the United States,
0: Mm -hmm.
1: yeah. Um, And so it's just—it's really prevalent. It's just there's like images and um, and words like just passing in front of us all day long, all the time, like weight Mm -hmm. loss and the new and, and even if it's not about weight loss even if it's about health <laughs> we're just sort of i think as a society ups, really obsessed with mm-hmm. health and really but in sort of a twisted way <laughs> that yeah. is really wrapped up in weight loss and having control over the body and having your body conform to a certain standard and i you know, I think that that like why it's that way is a super interesting conversation, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know, getting into, well, why is our culture that way? And, and I think, you know, a lot of it is rooted in oppression and control. Mm -hmm. And I think that can be really interesting to get into, but in terms of what is diet culture, I think it's just, you know, if you start to pay attention to your daily life and, and the messages that you see, like as you're looking at social media or magazines or TV, There's just a lot about diet, whether it's about losing weight or whether it's about health, quote unquote.
0: Mhm mhm no absolutely for sure that makes a lot of sense and yeah it is just it is just everywhere like it's kind mm-hmm. of one of those things that it's almost really difficult to avoid it mm-hmm. um and then i think you do you can start to notice the messages and maybe then feel like oh yeah i am being marketed to there is such a huge industry behind fueling diet culture, really, like in terms of the weight loss industry, all of the body shaper type clothing that's available, like, there's just so much about us looking um, this ideal way. And and I totally agree on on the oppression comment, I think, for women, um, it definitely seems that the focus is on body shrinking, right? And being small, um, mm-hmm. and sort of in a non, non-feminist kind of way, I guess, is how I see it. But um, no, yeah. that's really helpful. Well, and I think just you bring up a really good point about
1: the, the industry around diet, because it's like over $70 billion a year is spent in the diet industry. Yeah,
0: yeah. Um, that's just crazy. <laughs> <laughs> think about what we could be putting that towards. Mm-hmm. Right? <laughs> so I guess, you know, you touched a little bit on disordered eating. And I think so <laughs> many of us feel like we know what that is you know growing up i had seen and read about bulimia or anorexia and things like that but I'm starting to see that disordered eating is much more than that. And it's much more common than just some of those extreme cases that you heard about growing up or that you saw in like an after-school special kind of thing. And it took me a long time to realize really that I am dealing with disordered eating and and what that is. So maybe you can point out some of the like, be it symptoms or things that we should be watching out for either, you know, with ourselves, um, our children, our colleagues kind of thing um people that we are in community with
1: yeah it it is so common and i i use so i use the word dysfunctional when i'm talking about what i do and and the reason for that is to just allow for a really wide range of behaviors mm-hmm. and 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 so there's really severe disordered eating that i think you know what you're talking about that most of us think of like anorexia or bulimia and then you know, I think that there's a range all the way to it, just sort of takes up a little too much of your brain space, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, or it's like a little too stressful. Um, so I think, yeah, so I think there is a really wide range. I also think that it's so, you know, talking about diet culture, it's so normalized. So, you know, it's like both of us as kids saw all the, you know, mostly the women in our families like dieting and trying new diets and talking about it. So Mm -hmm. it's just so normalized to be kind of obsessive about that, that I think we don't realize that it's dysfunctional. Um, So yeah, I mean, I think in terms of things to look out for, I think like specific things could be, you know, if you find yourself, if you're obsessing over calories or tracking calories obsessively counting or tracking or counting nutrients. If you find yourself stressing a lot about food um, or stressing out about exercise or, or if you're like trading food for exercise. So Mm. I, I ate this, so I need to go work out in this way, or I didn't work out today, so I can't eat this. Um, I think if you notice yourself, withdrawing socially so like not wanting to do something because there might be food there and it's just too stressful to deal with um and and i also think if you reflect and you find that your your self-worth and your value the way that you think of your value is really wrapped up in what your body looks like um maybe just in general but also to other people i think that's something to watch out for And I think that's really challenging because we're like literally taught to do that. Mm -hmm, Um, mm -hmm. You know, I mean, speaking for myself, I was taught to like I was taught that my value as a human being and my self worth was wrapped up in what I looked like. And and growing up as a girl, I was specifically taught that it was wrapped up in what I looked like to men, like how attractive I was um so so that's super challenging because it's like I think it's really really common but I think that's something to be aware of and and kind of watch out for
0: yeah that makes a lot of sense and I I agree I think you know so much of the magazines and things that we've seen um, especially in those teen years movie wise all of that it it definitely sets up that worth you know self-worth coming from how you look um you know think of how many of those kind of ugly duckling turned Mm -hmm. glamorous type oh my gosh yeah movies there are right like that's exactly like you get that's telling you
1: look a certain way
0: yeah exactly um for sure and yeah i can totally identify with that stressing about food i know i've went through periods where you know having tried um a diet in the past and then you just kind of hit where you're like I don't even know what to have anymore like I just I'm Mm -hmm. not even sure um that confusion kind of comes and then I could see uh especially with COVID and a lot of people have said that they've experienced a weight gain and things like that Mm -hmm. and people sort of feeling that shame around it like well now I don't even want to go out like I've heard that kind of comment um so when you pointed out withdrawing socially I can can really see that as well. Yeah, I think
1: I think in general if it's if it's getting in the way of your quality of life or your ability to enjoy your life then maybe it's something to look at.
0: Mhm. Yeah. Yeah, that seems like a really great test. So let's get into a little bit about your coaching. What kind of tools do you provide clients then in order to help them um, heal their relationship with food and their body and sort of get them onto, I guess, the right healthy track?
1: Yeah, so for me, I think something that's really, really important. And the first thing that I do with clients is get to the root cause. So kind of you know, talking on an individual level about stuff that we're talking about today, like thinking about getting to the root cause of why they developed the behaviors that they developed, why they have the thoughts that they have and the beliefs that they have about their body or about food. And just like really unpacking that and kind of putting responsibility where it belongs (laughs) and kind Mm -hmm. of taking it off of them a little bit, you know, like, like it makes sense that you have these behaviors and it's not your fault. And at the same time, like you get to choose what to believe and how to feel moving forward. You know, I mean, it takes work and it Mm -hmm. takes practice, but so, so yeah. So getting to the root cause, I think is really, really important. And then also doing work around emotional intelligence, because like I was saying, you know, in my case, my disordered eating was really a coping mechanism. And, you know, essentially I just had a bunch of really big feelings and like some pain that I just literally didn't know how to handle. And so I had to come up with a way to avoid it and to numb myself out. So that was how I developed my more severe disordered eating. Um, And so working on, working on emotional intelligence, working with being able to, first of all, feel safe enough to feel your feelings and feel safe enough to kind of be in your body and feel what your body is experiencing. Um, and then, yeah, and, and being able to, f- to know what you're feeling and have tools to, to, to be with those feelings and to cope with those feelings without having to turn to food or to sort of beating yourself up. Um, so then another really important piece is self-compassion and shifting from you know, using self-compassion as a as a motivator for change, as opposed to like self-discipline or or self-punishment. Um, and then and then a really big tool that I use with my clients is intuitive eating. Um, so I I kind of do some foundational work first in terms of like being able to feel connected to the body first, because intuitive eating is all about is all about relearning how to listen to your body's cues and and actually eat when you're hungry and and stop eating when you're full and eat what you want to eat and know what you want to eat um it kind of kind of like having an internal guide post for that as opposed to looking to external sources to know what and when to eat so so yeah so intuitive eating is a big part of it but i kind of do this foundational work to kind of get ready for that
0: okay that makes a lot of sense and with some of the like replacing the coping mechanism piece and the self compassion, like are there specific um you know, tools that you're using, like is journaling something or meditation, are there different things like that that you're working yeah, in? F-
1: yeah, for sure. I think I personally find writing to be a really powerful tool just as as a way to reflect and connect with yourself. Um, so write, I definitely I give my clients a lot of writing prompts and writing exercises. Um, I think, too, any kind of practice that can help you feel embodied and feel be in your body and be okay to be there and feel what's going on. So um, yoga is definitely a big tool that I use for that, and meditation is a great tool for that, being able to just sort of being able to sit, and let things happen and be okay with it and not react or beat yourself up about it. Um, And then I think also just, just talking and sharing with another person (laughs) is really powerful. So the the conversations that we have, I think are, are really important. And in terms of self-compassion, I really think that that is just sort of an awareness and a practice so once you start to you know the first step is to really notice how you talk to yourself like noticing self-talk is something that that I do with my clients and I've done with myself you know constantly but just first noticing how you're treating yourself and noticing how you talk about yourself noticing your thoughts and your words and your beliefs um and and sort of noticing if it's compassionate and usually it's not (laughs) like Mm -hmm. usually it's pretty harsh and then from there once you've noticed then you're aware of it then you can start to shift it and it just takes it just takes time and practice of constantly and each moment trying your best to be compassionate to yourself trying your best to to talk to yourself in a different way And and I and it just takes it takes time, but the, you know, the thing that I say to people to encourage them is like, it took you, you know, however many years, like 20 something, 30 something years to get to this point, And you've been talking to yourself in a certain way for a really long time. So, you know, once you become aware of it, that's huge. And then it's gonna take some time once you start talking to yourself in a different way for it to really sink in and to really, for you to really feel the change.
0: Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. You're right. Um, And so it seems like you're focusing for sure more on um, working with women. Is there sort of a reason for that? Are you finding, excuse me, that this is more prevalent with women? Yeah, I mean, statistically, disordered eating, I mean,
1: statistics are tricky, because a lot of times it doesn't get reported. I mean, my personal experience, I never went to professional or like a facility about it so i was never part of the statistic right (laughs) um so but statistically from what we do have women are definitely there's a higher percentage of women that struggle with this um than men but men definitely do struggle i think that disordered eating affects people regardless of age or gender or body size or ethnicity um and and I think basically anybody whose body doesn't conform to the standards and the ideals that are presented, you know, kind of socially is going to be at a higher risk for, um, for developing disordered eating. <clears throat> and, and also people who are in um, groups that have been oppressed historically and marginalized tend to have higher risk and higher percentages. Um, so, and the reason that I work with women specifically mostly is because really just because that's my embodied experience um, because I, you know, grew up as a girl into a woman, like that's the experience that I have with it. And so I think, you know, I can speak to that, that experience from kind of like I, that was my experience. Um, so that's kind of why I put it out there that I work with women. And I think, you know, as you mentioned earlier, I think for women in particular, it's really emphasized that our worth is really tied up in our, what our bodies look like. And so I think it's, I just feel really strongly about fighting against that. <laughs> and help. Mm-hmm. you know, I think about all the women all the people out there who who are who are like fighting against themselves and all this time and all this energy is going into this this battle that they're having with their body that could be I mean just think about all the amazing wonderful things that could be happening in the world if like if people weren't having to struggle with this
0: Yeah, and it's such a challenge. I've been trying to immerse myself in sort of understanding more about intuitive eating, listening to podcasts, reading books, things like that, and the health at every size movement. But I do find then it's almost like a culture shock because, you know, you maybe meet up with somebody and you're talking with them or you put on a TV show and... they're talking nonstop diet culture, And so then you're like, wait, oh, I was Mm -hmm. trying to think this way. And then it just comes ramming back at you. Um, So I think, yeah, it's, it's definitely a challenge. Um, So I know you mentioned that you draw from intuitive eating and I'm assuming in your coaching also the health at every size um, movement. Are there other things that you're really using as um, kind of guidance for how you know, where to send people for resources or how hmm. to approach your coaching?
1: Yeah, I mean, definitely Health at Every Size um, and the Intuitive eat- Like, so Health at Every Size is a movement and also a book. So I'll, I always recommend that book and also the, the other work of the author of that book, whose name is Dr. Lindo Bacon. Um, And then the intuitive eating book is really fantastic. And then there's a lot of other books that I think are really wonderful that I draw from and that I'll recommend to people. Um, Like The Body is Not an Apology is a really amazing book. Um, This book that I found when I very first started to try to heal my disordered eating um, is called The Food and Feelings Workbook. The author is Susan Koenig. Um, that was a really helpful book for me. And then also I, I'm i really interested in trauma and how it affects the body and how it affects us going into coping mechanisms. Um, and so, you know, um, reading um, The Body Keeps the Score by Bessel van der Kolk and Waking the Tiger by Peter Levine. Um, and there's a coach I really love named Mastin Kipp who talks a lot about trauma and the neuroscience behind it. And then, yeah as far as other resources um I think like one of the things that I'll recommend to clients is looking at their social media and the and who they're following and what you know <laughs> like if they're being bombarded with images about diet culture and if they're seeing messages that that are don't make them feel good about themselves, and there's so many amazing people out there. You know, who are doing really great work who have a presence on social media. So there's definitely like specific social media accounts that I'll send to people to follow. Um, people who are, um, you know, health at every, working on within health at every size and people who are working um, with an intuitive eating framework um, and people who are fighting against fat phobia. And just, there's just so many amazing leaders out there to draw from Um, and then also um yoga like i mentioned before yoga has been a big part of healing for me and so that's i'm actually a a yoga teacher so i've studied that and studied um a a specific uh, modality of yoga therapy so i definitely draw from that as well kind of you know body body work and thinking about how to connect to the body
0: that makes sense. And yeah, yoga is definitely super powerful. Um, but it is one thing that I do struggle with. Because mm. when I think about yoga, I think about very, um, you know, perfect body and stuff. And so I think it's starting mm-hmm. to change in terms of the yoga industry, I guess. But yeah, it is sometimes that it's where I have felt more self conscious, I yes. guess, at times in in my own body. And I have done some of that with my social media going through and kind of removing people that I find triggering. And sometimes it's, you know, you almost have to be unapologetic about it, I find, because there are people that I know they have a great heart, they really, you know, they're just trying to encourage, you know, people being active and things like that. But just all of the pictures with the abs out mm-hmm. and stuff like that. I just, it's, you know, for me, it just makes me feel like, oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
1: Well, I think that's where it's so important to trust yourself. Like yeah. if you look at it and it makes you feel bad, it's gone. Like period, mm-hmm. end of story. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and, and, the, and there's so much good stuff out there that can help mm-hmm. encourage you and make you feel like, I mean, I studied art and art history. And so like, I'm super aware of how powerful images are. And it really, like, I actually really feel a difference when I'm looking at content on social media. I'm looking at images of people with lots of different size bodies. Mm-hmm. It really helps me actually start to be more like to embrace my own body more. And of course, it's like we said, it's like a lifelong journey. So there are going to be days where it's easier or harder for me to feel good about my body. And I really do find it practically helpful to look at bodies that are different sizes and not the, the you know um typical uh like thin idealized body of our youth <laughs> i grew up in the 90s so it was like the skinniest time ever yeah history. yeah the waif
0: right that was the yeah. Term. yeah oh my gosh yeah no I, I agree what do you say to people though that That kind of take a negative um, in terms of intuitive eating or health at every size and say, like, well, it's just kind of an excuse to do what you want. You know, you're not really thinking about your health Mm -hmm. Um, and that sort of approach where, you know, oh, well, you still need some kind of restriction in that. And how how do you kind of explain it to people Mm -hmm. about why this is something that's that's best for for everyone?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think that, that 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 thinking is really rooted in fear of and sort of mistrust in the body. It's because, you know, the thing is, is if you can really and, and this is hard, I'm not saying this is easy. <laughs> if you can really get on board with the fact that your body is intelligent, it does know what's best and you can trust it, that you really can trust yourself. Mm-hmm. that just kind of becomes a non-issue because, um, you know, I think, I think it's a, it's a complicated process, but our bodies are incredibly intelligent and they do want, I think that we do want to feel good and we do want health. And I, the reason that I think that that gets complicated is because if we have trauma, mm-hmm. we, you know, we will go through periods where we are actually like where like feeling good actually doesn't seem like an option or it or it um it is inaccessible or you know and so somehow we're actually like on a path of feeling bad or or doing damage Mm -hmm. so so that's why I say it's complicated but I think really at the end of the day with you know doing healing work on an emotional level and on a physical level our bodies are they want, like, we want to move in the direction of health and feeling good. So if we, if we allow, if we really truly trust ourselves and really truly give ourselves permission, we may go through a period of time where we're going to choose all the stuff that was restricted because that's just like, that just makes sense. Like if you weren't allowed to have something, you're going to go through a period where you're going to want to try it because we, there's sort of a rebellious element to that because it was like, you know, boundaries were crossed and we were not allowed to have something. And so we, we, we want to rebel against that. And that's a good sign. Cause it's like, that means you're, you're wanting to like, you want autonomy, you want agency and you want power back for yourself. So there may be a period of time where you're gonna eat stuff that isn't as uh, nutritious or nourishing, but you'll start, you know, if you slowly start to, Ha- if the focus is on nourishing the body and feeling good, you're naturally going to move in the direction of making choices to eat foods that make your body feel good and that are nourishing for your body.
0: That makes sense. So basically the, kind of the way I'm interpreting it is you can't just really work on the food side. Like you absolutely need to spend the time on the mental health portion, which is, you know, are, is this a negative coping mechanism for you? Um, You know, are you using self-compassion? Like all of those Mm -hmm. things kind of in tandem. Is that, does that make sense?
1: Yeah, I think so. I think that's a really good way to think about it. I think, yeah, I think that that is gonna, if you're doing healing on that level, then that's going to prevent, you know, the, I think the fear around like just doing damage to yourself, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm.
0: Mm -hmm. And just kind of going, Rogue or whatever, <laughs> yeah, well it's just like
1: I think I mean from I've read so many books and talked to so many people, and like I've literally never, ever, ever heard of anyone who just went rogue and stayed rogue and never stopped, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, like people will go through somebody might eat cookie dough all day every day for a month, and then they're gonna get sick of it, yeah, and then
0: they're going to be like, I think I want to eat a vegetable,, <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. No, that makes a ton of sense. And I guess the other thing that's kind of popping up for me is, you know, I have an eight-year-old daughter and I am so nervous, given all of my kind of issues and baggage around food. I mean, yeah, I was like put on Weight Watchers as a 13 year old, I was in mm. a obesity clinic, um, you know, around uh, age 11, 12. Um, and, and it kind of just carried on uh, throughout my life, ups and downs in terms of, you know, my struggle with, with self worth with weight, all of those things. And so uh, how do you kind of coach in terms of people who are then parenting the next generation mm-hmm. and, and what is the best way to put them on a path that doesn't end up on this roller coaster that many of us have have been on?
1: Yeah, I love that question. I'm so sorry that you had to go through all of that. Um, I think well, so on a practical level, the, the book Intuitive Eating has a whole section in the back about parenting. Um, which I think could be really useful for people, um, but yeah, it's so hard because you want the best. I mean, I can, I can, I know. Like, I have, I have clients who have children, and and part of their actually drive to to change to start to actually address this and change is because they have children mm-hmm. <laughs> and they don't want to mm-hmm. pass it down. So, and I think that's really the key is, um, is being willing to look at yourself and heal, you know, be working on healing your own relationship to your own body and to food, I think is the best way to model for your children, you know, healthy behaviors. Um, And then I also, I think, I mean, in terms of the intuitive eating approach, you know, kids are basically natural intuitive eaters. And, and so I think, I think, You know, if we start to want to control their behavior around food and their bodies, it's out of genuine care and wanting the best for them and and having fear that they're going to, you know, not be healthy or they're going to be treated a certain way. So I think really kind of being aware of that fear and trust, you know, it's the process of like, it's similar to the process of trusting your own body like trusting them that they, they know I, I, yeah, now that I'm saying it, I feel like that's super, super interesting and could be healing on multiple levels because like trusting that your child knows when they're hungry and when they're full and what they want to eat. Like I, that can sound really scary. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so you're like what if they just go crazy and eat cookies all day and like, they're not yeah. healthy. Um, so I think, and it's probably similar to the the journey of trusting yourself it's 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 going to take some time and some practice but i do think that that kids want to feel good in their bodies and they're going to make good choices and and so kind of trusting that just like you you just like the process of trusting yourself but there's some really great practical tips in the intuitive eating book and there's also some great people on Instagram who who talk about this specifically, or, or on social media, I'm sure they're on other platforms too, who talk about specifically
0: parenting in a, an intuitive eating way. Okay, yeah, that's really helpful. Okay, sounds great. Um, <laughs> so are there any other tools that you would want to point out to our listeners or any other, I guess, advice if somebody's maybe just at the start of exploring intuitive eating and... Um, and their food relationship? Yeah, I
1: I think what I would say is to get curious, like get really curious about your relationship to food and your body and, and rather than, you know, replace, replacing judgment with curiosity. So instead of like, kind of thinking about if you start to think about your relationship to food and your body, and it's bringing up really negative feelings, and you're kind of beating yourself up or judging yourself, like see if you can replace that with curiosity and get curious about what your dynamics are with food Um, and get curious about, because I think you can learn a lot and I think it can be like a really great opportunity for healing. Um, One of my colleagues talks about her eating disorder as an eating discovery because Mm -hmm she felt like it really opened when she started to examine her relationship with food she really it really opened up her whole world of examining you know her whole life which can be um it can be a lot but i think it's Mm -hmm. like a really great opportunity um i this coach i mentioned mass and kip he talks about replacing the word disorder with the word response so instead of it's an eating disorder, it's an eating response and you can do that with any disorder. But you know, the idea being you, you know, your behaviors have a purpose. Like you're responding to something and your body and you are actually really intelligent and you found a way to survive, you know, by, by responding to some crazy stuff in the best way that you knew how. And Mm so getting curious about that, like what were you, what are you responding to? Like what's really going on? Um, Yeah, and I think um, just not don't be afraid to to reach out for help, and don't be afraid to to share and talk to other people about it because it's like we were talking about. It's so common. It's so common. Like if like thinking about the way our society is and the way that we all come up in it I'm amazed that anyone doesn't have a dysfunctional relationship to food or their body Mm -hmm. um so you know it's just it's so it's so like there's nothing to be ashamed of um but I think it's shame is something that a lot of us carry around about it so yeah I would say getting curious and and also not being afraid to to talk about it and look for support
0: no, that makes a lot of sense. And, and I like some of those tips, especially around discovery, because you're right, like, as it, as you start sort of peeling back the layers, and you see that sometimes things are rooted in childhood and and stuff like that, you, you do have a lot um, potentially to work through. So that makes a lot of sense.
1: Yeah. And that's why self compassion is such an important part, because like hard stuff can come up. And, Mm -hmm. and so, you know, being really gentle with yourself as you start to to look at stuff and and being curious instead of judgmental.
0: Well, thank you, Amy, so much. I have learned a lot um, from, from you and from this episode. So how can listeners find out more about you online, social media, if they want to follow up and learn more themselves? Yeah, so I'm most active on Instagram
1: in terms of social media. And my handle on Instagram is amyjcoach. Uh, and then I have on my website, I actually have a free starter kit that people can download. And it's, you know, if you're kind of curious about your relationship to food and um, and your body, I have this starter kit that has a little quiz that can sort of help you identify what's going on. And there's also some really good tips to get started and um, and also a meditation. So that's something people can download for free. And that's on my website, amyjohnsoncoach.com.
0: That sounds great. Well, again, thank you so much for your time today. And I think everyone has learned a lot and will really appreciate your wisdom. Thank you so much for having me. It was really fun talking to you. Thank you so much to Amy Johnson this week for our conversation about food and body and sort of how to have a healthy relationship with both of those things. I definitely feel validated in terms of the work that I've been putting into this because, you know, Amy did say that it can take a lot of effort in order to really come to that um positive relationship. And she talked a little bit about the fact that trauma can play a part in our relationship with food. We talked about diet culture, we talked about intuitive eating and health at every size, and then got into some powerful tools, uh, particularly some of the ones around writing, um, as well as self-compassion. And I am certainly passionate on how do we pass this positive relationship with food and body onto our children. So if you'd like to learn more from Amy and be part of her very powerful coaching, please visit her on Instagram at amyjcoach or her website amyjohnsoncoach.com. Thanks for listening this week and have a great week. I wrote a book, I'd love for you to check it out. Pendulum by S.E. German is available now. Pendulum is a heartwarming story that follows a young boy who experiences mental health challenges like anxiety, OCD and depression, ADHD and tics following an infection. It turns out he has a little known disorder called PANDAS. The book follows the young boy as he struggles with his health issues as well as regular middle grade issues, and it can act as a wonderful catalyst between you and your children to talk about mental health issues and other things that are going on in their life. Pendulum is available online through Amazon worldwide. Barnes & Noble, the Friesen Press Bookstore, and a number of other online retailers worldwide. And you can check out chapter one, the audio version of Pendulum for free on the Learning to Slay the Beast podcast in episode 64. I hope you enjoy Pendulum by S.E. German and let me know what you think. I'm excited to announce the launch of my author website, www.se-german.com. On this website, you can find out all the information about my publications, focused areas on my novel, Pendulum by S.E. German, where there are questions for parents as you work through the novel with your children, as well as teacher resources that can be used in the classroom. There's also information about the Learning to Slay the Beast podcast and recent press. Please visit www.se-german.com. Thank you for listening to the Learning to Slay the Beast podcast. Please keep in mind this podcast is not intended to be medical or professional advice. If you are looking for that advice, please seek that out from a professional. If you'd like to hear more from me, you can visit my blog, www.theallergybees.wordpress.com, or follow me online at sarahladygluten on Instagram, S-A-R-A-L-A-D-Y-G-L-U-T-E-N or the Facebook page, sarah-ladygluten. If you do like the podcast, please consider subscribing so that you will get the podcast update every week and or reviewing the podcast on whatever platform you listen to. Thanks again and have a great week.